Beautiful soul, have you ever wanted to speak to angels? Do you believe angels can support you in your daily life? If this is you, go onto my website, theangelmedium.com and sign up for our email list. As a gift for signing up, I'm going to send you 31 healing meditations that if you do daily, they're going to help you tap into your angels and your own intuition. Start using these today and you'll start to see changes in 31 days. Now take a deep breath. Ask your angels to surround you with love, fill you with joy, infuse you with ease. And remember, your angels say that any messages that resonate with you in today's episode are meant just for you. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. I'm your host and author, Julie Jancis. And today we're here with Christy North. She is a co-host of the podcast, Pieces of a Woman. And she has an, a story that she wants to share with us today of really her awakening through the loss of her son. And so I just want everybody here with our energy to welcome Christy to the show and just thank her for being brave enough to share her story with us. Welcome, Christy. Well, thank you for having me. Any opportunity I get where I can talk about Taylor, I'm just happy and my heart is full. It does because it makes us remember them, right? And and brings their energy near to us and keeps keeps their presence alive. Yes. So just saying his name um, gives my vibration level a whole other level. Yay! <laughs> so thank you for letting me be here to share his story. Oh my goodness, of course. So tell us more about Taylor. Talk to us a little bit about his passing and your journey into awakening. Yeah. You bet. So um, Taylor was 23 when I lost him, January 6th, 2017. Um, Taylor was one of six siblings. And looking back at my life with Taylor, he was always um, teaching me, teaching me as a mother. I used to tell him and write him letters. I've learned more in being your mother than I could ever have imagined. He taught me everything from just parenting to how to navigate a challenging teenage boy to all of the fun and aspects of his personality um, that just kind of, you know, really enlightened my life. Uh, Taylor was the type that could walk into a room and you knew he was in that room. His energy was so big that you couldn't help but just notice him. He was the guy that everybody wanted to be around. Everybody gravitated to. He was in high school, um, part of every clique. He did not um, discriminate. He wanted to be with everybody. He had more girlfriends than I could even count. Um, that were either in our house, on the phone, at the door. So he was your, you know, for lack of a better term, your all-American guy. Good looking. Uh, he played hockey at a level that we um, were so proud of all over the world, Slovakia, 
Um, he played all over the country, um, just a very talented hockey player. And, you know, we had this relationship um, where we used to tease and he would, I would say, but at some point, you know, we need to cut the umbilical cord. He'd say, why? Why, mom? This is working for me. Um, so we're very close, but sadly, there was something missing where I didn't know or realize that he was holding back for me. And in January, he took his life and it devastated and rocked our world clearly, obviously. Um, and that was five years ago. And if you were to ask me pre five years ago about uh, meditation, the other side, signs. Um, you know, I had lost people in my life. I lost my grandfather at 12. I lost aunts and uncles and I was clueless at to what loss really, um, felt like and until I lost Taylor. And so through that, through the last five years, Taylor continues to teach me so much. Um, I have been introduced to, uh, modalities that, like I said, I would have probably just shunned away, you know, when it came to meditation and signs from the other side. And, but I went on this journey of looking for him and really wanting to find a way to connect with him. And I, I truly believe that I still get to parent Taylor, but we are, I'm, our relationship has changed. And at the same time, I'm just so grateful that, um, I had 23 years with him, but I'm so grateful that I still get to have these little connections where he shows me what that looks like. Yeah. So we were talking on the call this morning before you like um, we jumped into the show and you were saying that since Taylor's passing, you have really opened up to more of the spiritual in a deeper way. Talk to us more about that and your journey with that of how that came to be and maybe the different things that helped you along the way in your, your path. You know, so I, um, for the first year, I was pretty obsessed with understanding where he was and I could not um, resolve to anything other than he still has to be here. He cannot just be gone. And my mind and my heart just could not um, reconcile that. So I read a lot of books. I reached out to more mediums than I could tell you. And I got a lot of validation through both of those, but also my own personal experiences with Taylor that I could not explain that really, you know, brought light to me to say, Hey, there's, there is more and he's not gone. And just the validations that I received were so powerful that I couldn't ignore. Talk to us about those. And we call them angel stories here on the podcast. You kind of call them like sign stories. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about, you know, some of the sign stories that you have received from Taylor. So, um, one, one of the probably most profound, um, well, it's right up there, but shortly after losing Taylor, I started a foundation called the Taylor Hagen Memorial Foundation. And the foundation really focuses on, uh, supporting teens that are struggling, but also supporting parents that have lost a child, whether it's to suicide, any, any sort of loss. And, so I um, host bereaved mother retreats and my first retreat 
that we um, launched back in 2018. Of course, going into that, I was super nervous about how it was going to, if it was going to be successful. Um, as much as I don't want the mothers to show up, we definitely are offering something that helps these moms. And so um, I learned quickly through the first couple of retreats that I had to really let go um, of controlling the outcome. And uh, one of the retreats specifically, I had a mother, um, I had someone reach out and refer a mother to us that um, had lost three children to suicide. And at the time, I had done a couple of retreats and I was very nervous and so scared to be to thinking in my mind, how do I support this mother that has lost three? I only know one. And I, I kind of let it go. I talked to Taylor through it because, you know, I talked to Taylor through everything. The poor guy probably thinks, mom, you were crazy when I was here. And now I really know you're crazy. But <laughs> There's all this talking. I don't know who you think I am. I'm not Superman, but anyway. So I I I sat with that for a few days. Again, a little anxious, thinking this mother's going to come, and and I feel I was nervous that she wasn't going to get the support she needed. Well, through that week, I had I was capped out at eight mothers that had already committed to the retreat. Twenty four hours within the time frame that I got the referral for this mother to come to this next retreat, which by the way was in three days. Yeah, I had a mother cancel. Wow! And I had another mother sign up in her place that had lost two children to suicide. So I now had a retreat out of nowhere with two mothers that had multiple losses. Um that we're going to be at the same retreat and be able to provide that understanding and support and connection. And at that point, I really learned to let go. He was driving this ship. I was just, just the facilitator. And I've learned through the last five years, there are so many stories with every retreat I have that Taylor is my partner and he is bringing the mothers to me and he's putting them in the retreats that they need to be in. And every retreat that we do is has a story like that, where the mothers that are perfectly aligned at the right retreat with the right mothers. And I can't do that. That's not me doing that. Yeah. It's wild that you say that and, and say it as an angel story too, because um, not the same thing whatsoever, but I run a program that teaches women, how, well, women and men, um, how to do the work that I do and develop all of their unique spiritual gifts, combine them together to start their own business. It's called the Angel Reiki School. And what's so fascinating is spirit does that all the time where they bring together people who needed to meet with one another. So when people are like, I don't know which month to take the Angel Reiki School, I'm like, pray on it. Spirit will let you know. And the month that they tell you, it's 100% of the time because they were supposed to meet somebody else. It's such a beautiful experience. And again, you know, some people say, oh, it's um, coincidence or... Um, whatever you want to call it. And, and like I said, the stories are so profound that there's just, there's no way it's, it's divine. And I, and I truly believe it's Taylor aligning it. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, I have 
other angel connections that um, I just can't explain that just blow my mind. Yeah. Tell us about those two. So I've learned in um, another piece that I've learned and kind of evolved to is that instead of just asking Taylor to give me a sign, I ask him for a specific sign and I put it out there to him and give him the time to figure out how he's going to make that happen so that I can really truly have the validation that, yep, he's with me because, you know, we kind of get, go on in life and, and, and do what needs to be done. And we kind of like sit back and, and forget and maybe think they're not there. And so we want these little reminders that yes, they're right alongside us. And so I took a trip to Alaska last June with some friends and during right before the trip, um, probably at the airport, I said, okay, bud, I really would love to know that you're going to be there with me, that you're alongside experiencing this with me. And I want you to give me a sign. Um, and, and, and the sign was something that he used to say to me um, all the time. And he used to say, whenever I questioned anything he was doing or something that maybe I didn't agree with, he would say, mom, it's fine. <laughs> I was usually writing a check afterwards, but at any rate, <laughs> it was, it was mom, it's fine. And so we kind of coined that throughout a fun part of our family referencing Taylor. So I asked for him to give me that specific sign, which is, you know, it's a challenging sign to be able to give, uh, I would think. So here we are three days into the trip and we are on a boat going to see a glacier in the middle of the ocean. And I'm sitting there and I never know when it's going to come. It could be a month later. It could be weeks later. Uh, this happened to be within that same week. And I'm sitting there looking out at the ocean and a woman walks in the ship from the outside that she had been um, observing the glacier. And she walks in and her jacket opens up and her t-shirt said, mom, it's fine. Oh my goodness. <laughs> So to me, that was just unbelievable. And I said, thank you. I mean, I always, you know, I've also learned, thank them, thank them, acknowledge so that they can, and I think they, they, they thrive off of that energy so that they can continue to keep doing that. Friend, if the idea of connecting to your angels and changing your life using your very own spiritual gifts sounds amazing and is deeply resonating with you today, I want you to go on my website and check out my angel membership. Registration is open. Sign up today and you'll get access to new course content and events each week and a private community. Members love how everything you need for your spiritual awakening is all in one place. Sign up today, angel membership. It's incredibly healing. Also, the winner of this month's free reading with me is in the show notes below. Leave a five-star positive review of my podcast or book, and you could be next month's winner. Lastly, check out the upcoming events page on my website, theangelmedium.com, because we have a lot of upcoming events that I know you're going to be interested in. So, Christy, you know, 
I had a similar experience. I got to go, my grandparents on my mom's side owned a lake house. And even though my dad wasn't, you know, blood um, family anymore, um, he would always recall about how much he loved that lake house. And uh, we had the most fun memories growing up, going to this lake house, going on the boat and different things. So this this place is up on Airbnb. So I got to go to the lake house and I could just feel his presence so there. Um, and I did the same thing. Dad, I want a sign. I want to know that you're here. So we went to rent a boat. And when we rented the boat, um, all of the boat names were Harris. My maiden name is Harris. And I'm like, oh, well, this is too easy, right? <laughs> like every boat is named Harris. I, I'm not accepting this. I need another sign. And so um, we brought our dogs and our little Lulu escaped, was running like crazy. So I run out of the house barefoot. And there's a woman walking her dog. Lulu stops to be social with her dog. And I'm out of breath, huffing, puffing, look up. And she has a Harris Theater shirt. I've never seen anybody wear like a Harris shirt before in their entire life. And I go, okay, okay, dad, I get it. It's you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, There are some people when they get that sign, right? They would see the t-shirt, mom, I'm fine. um, The Harris t-shirt. And they would say to themselves, but I I still think I'm making it up. I still think it's in my head. How did you kind of work with that energy? Because we all have to do it. We all have to work out that egoic mind so that we're not really in that spot anymore and really come to this place of understanding that it is them and accepting and believing that it is them. How did you work through your own egoic mind to find that acceptance? Um, honestly, it was a challenge for me the first few years because I was still kind of in that space of, you know, questioning and exploring, um, how I felt about it, what I thought. And it took, um, it's taken, you know, quite some time to get to the place to where now it's just part of my day and it happens so frequently and I've tested it. I have another amazing example of that test, but, um, I, I've tested it to where, there's, there's no ignoring it. And so now I just, you know, even if maybe there's question, I still thank him. I still acknowledge. Um, I try to push the ego aside and just, you know, if my thoughts are there and I think it's him, then that's where I need to go. I need to not, I need to let go of that ego and just allow it. And, and maybe it's not, maybe it is. Um, Tell us the sign of you um, or the story of you, like um, you said something there of like you testing it. Yes. So I have two. So hopefully we have time to do that because yeah. they're so amazing. Totally. Um, so this particular one, Taylor used to do this hike that's close to our home. It was called Neff's Canyon here in Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, I always, um, I had committed that I would eventually do that hike because he used to um, express how much he wanted to take me on this hike and show me Neff's Canyon. We never got the opportunity to do it. So I was committed after he passed that I would make that hike. Two years after I finally got the, um, 
nerve up to go do it and and the mental space to say, okay, I'm ready to do this hike. So my husband and I started off um, up the canyon and I'm, you know, looking for my signs. I'm looking, I'm, I'm just, I want him so bad. I just want to know he's there. And I'm, and I'm like anxious to think that everything is a sign. And I had this voice in my head say, mom, you'll know what's a sign when you know. And, you know, one of two of the main signs that he will bring to me are, you know, and a lot of people have these same signs, dragonflies, but also ladybugs. And, and those are pretty common in my experience, which were never common in my experience pre losing my son. So we continue off through the hike and we, and it opens up to a meadow, which I had no idea. I, I didn't know what this hike looked like or what I was going to experience on it. But as we go about two miles up the mountain, it just opens up to this amazingly beautiful flat meadow. And we walk into this meadow and I am not lying. There are hundreds of thousands of dragonflies surrounding this meadow. You cannot even walk through it because there's so many throughout the entire area, um, which was so such a large area. So number one, I got that and I and I looked up in the sky and went, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So, you know, it so as we're coming back down the mountain. I'm so grateful that he gave me that. And we're walking down and this mountain um, has, it's a forest. So it's thousands and thousands and thousands of trees as you're walking down the path. And it's about two and a half miles through this path. And we get about halfway down and I stop to fix my shoe and I rest my hand on this tree and I look up and the initials ATH are carved in the tree. And my son's name is Anthony Taylor Hagen (gasps) on any tree that I could have stopped and placed my hand in front of. And I, I just sat there with tears in my eyes and said, I've been asking for a two by four to hit my head with a sign. I think you just gave me that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I just felt that so much <laughs> heart. I love that sign and I love that story. I want to go into a couple other things. Um, when it comes to suicide and people passing from suicide, um, I don't believe that there's anything that you could have done or anybody else could have done to prevent it. But I want to just kind of explore with you here, maybe things that you have learned since Taylor's passing that you wish you would have known just about suicide itself, the process or um, the experience or, or the person going through it at the time that you wish you would have known. Maybe oh my gosh. Before. And, and um, again, not that we could have stopped anything. I don't believe anything could have been stopped. But I think, you know, Taylor is putting this question within my mind because there's information that needs to be shared with people who are listening. And I hope I can do this answer with service. So obviously, um, as a mother, when you look back, you think of everything that you could have done differently. Um, you wonder if you could have prevented it. And you learn that 
um, that's probably not necessarily a possibility. Um, you just, you'll never know. It's an answer. We ask why and how, and we have to learn to just sit with that for the rest of our lives and sadly never know the why or how, because there's so many um, things that might have led up to this. And it's not one particular thing. It's almost like a tsunami of events that occur that I think brings someone to this place. Um, I will say as a parent, speaking from a mother, if I look back at Taylor, uh, there were a couple of things I could have possibly um, done differently. And that was bringing my own fears into our relationship where instead of being able to sit and hold space for my son, when maybe I thought that um, there was a challenge that he was experiencing and me thinking that it was the end of the world or that it was going to define him, or it was something that was going to um, affect his life negatively. And I think I can look, I, I look back now and I parent so differently today than I did then. I got caught up in so many fears that I reacted. I reacted to situations versus respond. And knowing from, you know, being a teenager, there's so many challenges that they face, um, whether it's alcohol, drugs, um, bullying, <clears throat> so many different areas that they have that they're up against that are so challenging, social media and how that affects them. And I didn't know that certain things meant my son was struggling. So let's just, as an example, when he hit his twenties, and I believe he probably experienced it in high school, but the drinking alcohol. So what I perceived as a young man exploring and coming to an age where he could drink and that that was maybe a common thing for someone his age, what was really happening is my son was self-medicating. And, um, and that kind of spiraled, um, for him and it was something he fought and tried to, um, have a better balance with, but never truly was successful or won at it. So as a parent, I can look, I look back now and think, where could I be more aware? And when situations occurred, whether it was grades or people that he maybe surrounded himself with, or like I said, when challenges came, instead of freaking out, sitting with what was happening and asking my son, how are you? How did that make you feel? And are you okay? Versus, oh my gosh, this means this, 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 and this, which are, you know, what I've created in a fear of my own, that that means he's going to not finish school, or that means he's going to have this bad life and he's never going to be successful. And I think we put so much pressure on our teenagers and our young men, especially when they graduate, that they have to have life figured out. Um, and I, you know, I don't know 100%, but I think for Taylor in his 20s, he felt like he needed to have life figured out, that the pressure to know what he was going to do and not have those answers was so much for him that it was overwhelming. And I, 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 I hope as parents, we can sit back, not bring our fears into our parenting, listen to our children and allow the space for them to share the tough things with us. Because if they can't trust us with the tough things where we might freak out, why would, 
or even the little things. If they can't if they can't trust us with the little things, why would they trust us with the tough things? So we need to demonstrate the ability to stay level-headed, be mindful. Our most important objective is that they are safe and do that with love and compassion. I think that's so amazing and just like so helpful to people listening. Uh, You had said reacting versus responding and responding by that, you mean holding that space. And just, I love when you said, you know, are you okay? How did this make you feel? And just holding space in that way for them. Um, I had an experience a couple months ago where um, my daughter's young. She's only 10 years old and uh, she had some medical issues while she was very young. She was born with a syndrome and we just didn't know uh, what her life was going to be like when she was really little. So we chose to just have one and give her all of our love and attention. And I was reading somewhere on the internet and came across the story of a young person who passed of suicide. She was E's age. She was just 10 years old. And I ended up kind of collecting myself and going downstairs and my daughter was painting. And I just said, can we have some time and some space to just chat? Um, And I said, listen, I need to tell you about something. And I said, do you know what suicide is? And she said, yes. And I said, well, could you tell me what you think it is? And so she explained it. And I said, I need you to know that I just read this story about a little girl who, who took her own life. And I just said, I need you to know that like, that would just be the end of me, you know, if you ever did that. And I said, I was really honest with her. I said, listen, if you ever took your own life, I know daddy would take his because I don't, I do. I know that he can't be here without her. And I said, it would leave me all alone. And I don't know, I laugh right now because um, I don't know if I put too much pressure on her by saying that. Um, but I was crying and then she was crying. And I don't know if there's any right way to kind of have that conversation or if I even did that right. But do you recommend to parents to talk about it with their children? And if so, how do you even have that conversation? I 100% recommend that we are having those tough conversations. Uh, we have, there's this misconception that if we talk about it, then we're bringing it to the forefront of their mind. And then they look at it as a plan. And the reality is it's happening around them. Unfortunately, they're seeing it. It's more prevalent today than I recall it ever being um, over the past 20, 30 years. And we are scared as parents to talk about it because we think that means that that might be something that they would do. And so I think you handled it well. Um, I think sharing how it affects the people around them is so critical because that's where they get lost. And uh, part of this um, experience for them is that when when a person, child person, goes into that space of possibly going down that path, it's a very tunnel vision for them, and they don't have the capacity to 
look outside of them. And, and so there's this unfortunate message that some people say that it's a very selfish act and then it's a cowardly act. Well, really at the end of the day, how cowardly can you possibly think that might be? It's probably one of the most difficult, toughest things anyone would ever think of doing. And in fact, when they go through that process, the selfishness absolutely goes out the door because their ultimate goal is that they think they're going to make it better for someone else. And so having explaining all of that, I think is so important, but most importantly is that they don't know how it affects. They think that they're create they're doing something that's just going to fix this one situation. And so hopefully emphasizing all the challenges that we face throughout our life and how that how it can change, um, I think is is helpful. Somebody knowing and the value that they bring to the family, who they are and how they the lives that they are touching, I think is so important. And telling someone to think positive thoughts or to maybe read something or even therapy. I think therapy is a beautiful thing, but it's not always the ultimate fix. I think it has to come in combination with more than just one thing. And so I recommend if you notice that your child might be struggling with depression or withdrawal or something is going on, instead of giving a suggestion of what they could do differently, um, you know, Taylor and I, one of the things that I would do with Taylor is when I noticed that he was maybe having a tough day, instead of saying, well, you should go on a run because I, I introduced running to him. Um, and it turned out to be something that was part of his routine to help him um, change where he was mentally. But instead of saying you should go on a run, it was how about we go on a run? And um, or if it's, you know, maybe you need to walk out in nature instead of suggesting it, invite them to go out, invite them to do something outside of where they're at to remove them from that environment. Um, we, we tend to prescribe versus help be a part of it. And, and I know I kind of like change directions on your question, but really, really, you know, sitting and holding space as much as we want our children, our people, our tribe to be open and share so that we can help them navigate tough situations. We have a responsibility to be able to listen without judgment. And if we can do that, I think we have opportunity to help um, maybe change the narrative there. Well, and I think this is so important right now, too, because and I don't know the exact statistics. I should have looked it up before we came on the call. But what I've heard in the last year is that the ages are getting younger and younger and it's not going away and it's becoming more prevalent than ever. And and you're right. There is this kind of preconceived notion that we can put as parents on our kids, like you have to do this in, in order for X to happen. But really, in life, there's nothing that we really can't get out of, right? Like, as long as we're living, breathing, God, universe, source has a reason for us to exist here and a way to a better space than we're in. It's interesting that you called it tunnel vision too, like when a person is in that space, because I don't know if you know this about me or my story, but I was having suicidal thoughts years ago as my dad passed and I was coming into this gift and I talk about it in the book. Um, and I ended up going in 
to the hospital because from the time that the thought came into my head, wow, I really don't want to be here on earth anymore to like know how would I take my life um, was like three weeks. That's how fast because your mind just like ruminates and ruminates and ruminates. And it does become this tunnel vision of um, there's no other there's no other way. Like there's no other way for me to work through the situation that I'm in. I have made choices in my life that have got me to this point. I totally messed everything up and there's nowhere else for me to go. Um, and so when I want everybody just to know and, and you Christy to know when I'm working with souls from the other side, um, who have passed from suicide and I'm trying to talk to their family members here, a lot of times that's what they want other people to understand because there's a lot of like, well, how could you, or how could you do this? Or how could you leave me behind? And, um, it, it is so tunnel vision. I mean, that word is just so dead accurate. There is no other option at that point. And ultimately, you know, you know your loved one and they would never do anything to hurt us. They they just are unfortunately so heavy in that space. Um, and I had, you know, I had no awareness of what that looked like or meant um, suicide because it just wasn't in my world um in the past five years has become sadly a very big part of my world but you know as a mother losing a child um the rate for a mother to take her life after losing a child is very high and i will say that i asked and could never understand and i was so angry for so long um which was just part of my process of grieving and I, I no longer judge myself, but that first year I was quite, a, quite judging myself often because I was so mad at him. But then I found myself, you know, constantly battling these dark places as is normal when you lose a child. And I, I feel like there were moments where I really kind of touched on those emotions and I went, okay, I get it, bud. I get it. So it is a very dark place and it's a very lonely place and, uh, and, and there's no ultimate fix to it. It's a process and it's a journey. And I pray, you know, that our community finds a way to help this epidemic that sadly has come and that we can, you know, prevention is a tough word for me because I don't want to, you know, come across negative and say that, you know, I don't know that I believe in prevention, but I do believe that we can sit alongside our people that are challenged um, a little better than maybe we have and hold the space that they need and not put as, you know, I, I'm focusing on parents because that's my experience, but so many things I put on my children that are not important, you know, whether it was grades or, something that happened in their life. And you look back and think, you know, in 20 years, none of that's going to matter because it does change. Life has its way of kind of unfolding as you, as you spoke to just a minute ago and things change and you, and you end and you come out of it and you go in and you come out and that's just part of our journey. Um, and I hope that we can teach our children um, that we have to now teach them at an early age, because as you said, we're seeing this happen with such young kids and it's just such a different world and we have to help find a way to navigate that 
with them. How how can parents maybe express disappointment in a different way? So I'll give you an example that I like to share. And I learned this from another mother. Um, we as parents need to treat situations like a first responder. So if you consider a first responder when it comes to an accident, you're in your car, you're driving, you, you get into an accident and you hit another vehicle and you pull over off to the side, the police officer comes in. And what is the first thing a police officer does when he walks up to your car? He says, how are you? Are you okay? He doesn't sit at your window and say, how could you have done this? Look at what you have created. Look at who you've affected. You've just hit that car. I mean, they just go, you know, going into all of these negative things that happen. Well, as a parent, we tend to do that when something tough really happens, whether it's we caught them doing something they shouldn't have done, whether it's drugs, alcohol, early sex, stayed out late, they didn't get good grades. We come in with this fear because of our experiences and we bring it to our children and we go into this attack mode. So what happens with our children is they retreat and now they look at us and say, my parents can't handle this. Almost like they're not safe. Right. And so if we can come at parenting with tough situations with the very first question needs to be, how are you? Tell me how that felt. Why, why are you in a space that you are experimenting with alcohol at the age 13? Tell me what's going on because obviously something is going on. It's, you know, there's some underlying issue. And so for us as a parent, if we can sit, take a deep breath before you respond, think about the big picture. Is this truly going to mean their life is never going to be what you hoped and wished it would be? Is it going to truly have a negative effect or is it going to help them grow as a person and be a part of their story that makes them the person that you long for them to be? Um, and just sit with that and instead talk through solutions and with them and allow them to share in what that looks like. That's beautiful. Christy, there's one question that comes up a lot when I talk with parents whose child is going through a lot at, at an adolescent age. And a lot of parents will say, well, I don't want to send them to like an inpatient program in the hospital or like group therapy because I don't want them to get ideas from other kids. Talk to us a little bit about that. I know that's um, that's something that it's 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 kind of kind of goes along with the schools, you know, the schools and the way they're handling uh, multiple suicides um, in their community and where schools will tend to stray away from talking about it or even recognizing the student that did it, which affects um, everybody in a negative way. So I, I find that parents kind of get short-sighted. And I, I, th I do think there's probably some situations where if you go into an inpatient that your child is going to be exposed to different scenarios and situations with other kids, but ultimately they're going to be in an environment with some structure of a level of experience and education that can be brought in tools that can be brought into your child's 
world for them to learn how to navigate those situations. And what we can't control who is among that group, the facilitators are very familiar, very resourceful and experience in how to control and navigate that. And we have to have trust. Um, not every not every situation is going to be ideal, but there are lots of programs out there that you can research um, and and hopefully utilize as a resource because sadly, we're not equipped as parents to be able to be the ultimate resource for them. We do need to lean on our community, um, whether it's an inpatient or a church or a program. You know, we have a program here in Salt Lake that we partner with our foundation where um, they've, you know, kids have done the inpatient care and it's the afterwards that I think really ultimately helps them um, take what they've learned into the world. And uh, this program brings teenagers in and gives them an opportunity to be alongside other kids that are trying to find their way through that. Um, and, and I, and I know that that's not an option for everyone and um, depending on where the listeners are, but doing the research, talking to other parents. Um, I want to say on another note that just came to me, we tend as parents to kind of hide what's going on in our personal lives with our children, because we are either embarrassed or shamed, or we feel like we will be judged. And if I can say one thing, being able to be real with your people is so powerful and will help guide you through so many situations is a way for you to not only express, but to have feedback and to have ideas come and brainstorming through um, most parents won't share. And if they, if we can be real, we open up that door to all of us collectively, the community come together and find ways to help our children. Yeah. You know, there's one um, tool that I like to use at the dinner table where everybody goes around and shares one challenge that they had for the day and how they worked through it. And I love that tool because I grew up with this misconception that when you got to be an adult, man, everything was rosy and peachy <laughs> and perfect. And then you get here and you're like, well, this isn't what they said it was going to be. Um, I think that's a, a really great great um, perspective, Christy, to really give people the permission to be honest with their kids about what adulthood is really like um, and that we have challenges that we go through every day. Oh, I think so too. And, you know, in, in some cases they say that we need to kind of control a little bit of that information. And, and there's some things we don't want to burden our children with, but they need to see us overcome tough situations. They need to see how we um, we need to be able to model, model behaviors that show that things can tr change, that we are working through. And, and then the same, you know, conversely speaking, they need to see us cry. They need to see us maybe struggle through something and then find our way, not sit in it and spiral in it, but see us show emotion, but then find our way through. Yeah, take the action steps because when we um, model those action steps for them and this is how you move through a challenge, I think something happens with their brain where then they get it and then they're able to kind of, I don't know if um, model or implement is the right word, but just kind of copycat that. Exactly. And they're watching us whether we think so or not. And they are listening to us 
can tell you how many times I thought that most of what I said was going in and out. And then, you know, a year later or two years later, one of my children will, will say something. I'm like, oh, you actually listened to me. That sat with you? Yes. 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 Um, okay. I have to ask you about one more thing. Energies won't clear for me unless I kind of go into them. And my cousin had um, two friends, well, three friends in college, uh, two guys that were best friends, and then um, one guy's girlfriend. And his friend committed suicide. And shortly after, the other male friend committed suicide. And they keep bringing this energy up to kind of ask you about this. And I'm not exactly sure why there must be information that you have. But how when there is something that goes on and we're a parent, our kid is in high school and somebody at the high school, you know, commits suicide or they're in college and this happens. How is the best way to approach that and talk to them about that and help them through that as well? So I, I think it falls on everyone. It's not just the parent, it's the community and it's the school. And the schools are so limited because of their regulations or their, um, their rules on how they respond to situations like that. And sadly, um, I don't want, you know, to say anything negative about, you know, administrators or teachers, because I think they're doing the best that they can and, and they're only allowed to do so much, but ultimately um, I think we're doing a disservice because, you know, they're, they're not appropriately creating a space for these kids to properly mourn and to openly mourn, but also to have conversations. Uh, The school counselors are not equipped to the level that, a student population needs. And so they're finding that they don't really have a direct place to go. And sadly, as parents, most often our children are coming home and we don't know how to support them. We don't have that relationship, or maybe we've never been through a loss or we have definitely not been through a suicide loss. And so they really have nowhere to turn. So all we can do is really um, encourage the conversation, um, allowing them the space to talk about it, creating a, a, a pl- maybe it's, you know, bringing a group in and having your child invite other teens to come in to your home or to a place where they can honor and speak about it. What's happening is they have no coping skills. And so what you're, when you're seeing these multiple suicides take place, they have lost their way on being able to find a way to express that grief. And we need to teach that. We don't teach grief in school and, and how to really navigate that. And so I, I think some of the schools are figuring that out and they're implementing some resources for that. But as a parent, we really have to be active. Um, and hopefully we can, we can create that with other parents and come together and create a way for them to express, to discuss, um, and to honor, to have ways to honor that student that was in their school. Yeah. Okay. I lied. I have one more question. You're good. Did you have to make the choice as a mama to remain here? Was there, talk to us about that after Taylor's passing. Oh my gosh. It's an emotional question for me. Uh, yes, absolutely. Because, you know, losing a child, you don't know how you're going to survive it. You don't know how you're going 
to live without them. And I remember the day I had to make a conscious commitment and effort. And my reason, my why in so many ways was that um, my children that are here, I have five children here, deserved to have the mother that Taylor got because they still have so much life left and they deserved that. And, and on another side of that, Taylor would be devastated if I left them. Um, this is not what he wanted. And I think, you know, he has had to do his own work to forgive and to be okay with what this looks like. And so together we are coming to a place where he helps give me the strength to continue to do the work that I do, but also be the parent that my children deserve. And so I, that, that gave me my why I knew I needed to be able to give them that because I had witnessed and watched situations where that was not the case. And, and I don't judge it because I can 100% understand how a parent can shut down and lose sight of life and everything around. And so for me, it was a conscious effort to say, I've got to figure this shit out because your children deserve to have the mother that Taylor had. Christy North, thank you so much for being on the show today. Please tell people where they can find you on your podcast and more about um, where they can find information about your uh, retreats. Okay, so our podcast is Pieces of a Woman. You can find our website at piecesofawoman.com. We are also on all platforms for your listening preference. Uh, you can also... Uh, if you want to refer us or you know someone that would benefit from one of our bereaved mother retreats, you can register and get more information at TH for Taylor Hagen, THMemorialFoundation.org. Perfect. Christy, can we just pray for you for a moment and all the work that you're doing? You're such a healer yourself and the work that you're doing here. I just want everybody who's listening to just bow our heads and pray for a moment and just send love and God's oneness, energy, strength, hope, resilience over to Christy. And just surround her with this energy, not just now, but in the future as she is working with so many parents who are grieving, siblings who are grieving, and just helping people through their journey. Christy, we just thank you so much for being here and doing what you do. Um, we'll put all of your information in the show notes below. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Julie. You're welcome. Beautiful soul, thank you so much for joining me today. My name's Julie. You know I'm all about connecting you with messages from your angels and loved ones on the other side. If you've been listening today and you're super excited and just have to know which angels are sitting around you now, who's connecting with you, and how they're supporting you, go to theangelmedium.com. Register for a virtual session. 
You can do a reading with me or a member on my team. We're all incredible. We all talk to angels daily, and we can help you in making sure that your angels are doing the best they can to support you and guiding you to the life you want to live. Virtual sessions, they're only offered on my website, never, never, never offered on social media, only offered on theangelmedium.com. Sign up today. And if you're the person who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing your unique spiritual gifts, growing your intuition, starting your own healing business, you can sign up for my Angel Reiki School to become a certified angel messenger. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn energy healing, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and business mastery skills. That's the Angel Reiki School. You can find more information on theangelmedium.com or DM me over on Instagram at Angel Podcast with any questions you have. Friends, before you go, connect with your angels by placing your hand on your heart, taking a deep breath. Imagine a doorway filled with God's unconditional love in front of you. I want you to step into that love in front of you. And I want you to feel it as it fills your body, your chakras, and your auric field. Now ask your angels, what would you have me know today? and open yourself to the positive, loving messages they have just for you.